Thanks, Clara. Ein feste Burg ist unser Gott. Isn't that right, Marcus? Marcus, help me with my German, right? Ein feste Burg ist unser Gott. One of my favorite hymns, top three favorite hymns of all time. Thank you, choir. Um, you know, I was wondering if Woodmont was going to be a clapping church. Someone told me it wasn't a clapping church. People don't clap here, and that's obviously not true anymore. But I didn't know we were a crying church as well. That, uh, I think that's the, the first time that I've cried. We know that Richard and, and Randy, yeah, they, uh, but I didn't know about Trey and, and me, but Goodness gracious. When the Holy Spirit moves, it's emotive, you know, it's emotive, and uh, it's appropriate to emote in those times. So I'm glad, I'm grateful that Woodmont is a church that claps, that rejoices, that celebrates, and that weeps, uh, and that, that cries, and that uh, loves, and feels well and deeply. Um, I know we've been praying for um, one of our staff, our team members, Ron Landis' father, who passed away yesterday, to, to look over and see Ron singing. Uh, whatever comes and whatever may pass, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And uh, to see him singing with all his heart. I was emoting then too, Ron, so thank you for the witness that, uh, that you provide for all of us in the way that you grieve and that you still praise our God. So, we're reading through the Bible. It says, uh, I've heard people say that it takes 21 days consecutively of doing something in order for that thing to become a habit. Have you heard that before? 21 consecutive days in order for something to become a habit. Well, if you're reading with us, today is day 22. So, does it feel like a habit yet for you? Are you getting in the groove of things? It's beginning to feel that way for me and Morgan as, as we get up early and, and read our Bibles together. 21 days consecutively, consecutively and it will, will become a habit. And here's the thing, if you're not reading the Bible through with us, that's okay. Just, you can jump in anytime. There's grace. If you miss a day or two, that's okay too. This is not a legalistic endeavor that we're engaged in. This is a, a matter of, of discipleship and of sanctification in God's Word. And reading through Genesis has been fascinating, hasn't it? It's, it's reminded me uh, a, a few things of just how broken the people are in the Bible. Often I think we think of the Bible as we learned it as children in Sunday school. We get the, the kind of whitewashed, nice version of the Bible. That these characters in the Bible are these amazing, super holy, godly people that we could never aspire to be like. And reading through Genesis has reminded us that that is certainly not the case. There's so many bizarre and horrible and excruciating stories in Genesis. And yet I think God does that on purpose. I mentioned in the welcome blurb in the weekly this week that there's really three things that I'm learning as we read through Genesis together that give me hope, things that allow me to take heart as we read through Genesis. First, we can take heart because we don't have to be super holy Bible characters, and yet God can still work through us. God uses the broken. He uses the depraved. He uses the hurt, the, the lonely. Hagar, when she's out by herself, God comes to her in special ways. God uses people that are grieving, that are, that are broken people. We don't, well, often we think we have to be this perfect person in order for God to use us. No, God can use you right where you are today, no matter what you've been through. All we have to do is believe that and then get out of his way and watch him work. Second, we can, we can take heart, Genesis shows us, because no matter what, God's good purposes will prevail. You see these horrible things, violence taking over the earth in Genesis 6, and yet God's purposes are not thwarted. 
Nothing phases God. The, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah doesn't cause God to abandon hope. He's never, never shaken. He's never rattled by what's going on. He's always sovereign and in control. His good purposes will go on no matter how evil this world may seem. And then finally, we can take heart because God always keeps his promises. Even though it may take a while, Abraham and Sarah are 100 years old before they finally have a son, Isaac. She was barren for 100 years. And then God gives them a child to fulfill his promise. His promises are always true. He's always going to do what he says he will do in his perfect timing. We can trust that and take heart that all we have to do is sit back again and watch how God will prove his faithfulness over and over in our lives. And we finished reading Genesis yesterday with this beautiful story of reconciliation and redemption with Joseph and his brothers, and I'm going to preach on that next week, so just hold on to that. We start Exodus today, which is a, another uh, exciting uh, book that we're going to dive into. But before we, we finish Genesis, this week I'm going to look at another story in Genesis that's both comforting and challenging at the same time. We're going to look at, at really two transformational encounters that Jacob had with God Almighty that changed his life and eventually changed his name as well. But before we dive into those texts, let's get a little context, right? On Wednesday nights, we're talking about how context is really the important thing. So uh, Genesis 1 through 11, remember we said last week, are this cosmic scale. God's moving in a worldwide, global ways, right? He's sending a flood on the entire earth, right? He's, he's raising up Noah and his descendants. He's scattering the people of Babel all across the earth. He's acting on these very worldwide scale, right? But now in Genesis 12, everything changes. God's strategy becomes about a people. His plan is now to make a family for himself and through which that family will come blessing for the entire world. That's God's plan. And now we as the church, we find out, are heirs of that family. We are now part of the people of God through whom God plans on blessing all the families of the earth. And it starts with one guy, a guy named Abraham. Abraham, we know, God fulfills his covenant to him to make him as numerous as the stars, to give him the promised land. He does that through his son Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons, right? Twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And at that point in the scriptures, the, the whole narrative of Genesis focuses kind of on, on Jacob and his sons. And today we're going to talk about Jacob before we get into the story of Joseph next week a little bit more. Last week we, we saw that that God tests us, right? That God tested Abraham as a means of stretching him, as a means of growing his faith in order that Abraham would come to rely more and more on God's perfect provision and power and less and less on his own human weakness and his feeble strength. We read the excruciating story of how God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his own son. And in obedience, by faith, Abraham obeyed he went up the mountain, and then God provided. After Abraham obeyed, then God provided. You see the order there. Then God provided another ram to take the place of Isaac, a sacrificial atonement who was sacrificed instead of Isaac. And then we, we read about how Isaac told Jacob when he has his twin boys and, and Abraham and Sarah are, are long gone. 
he tells Jacob the same thing that his daddy told him. Don't you marry a Canaanite woman, okay? You need to go back to Padan Aram, where my family's from, and find you a good Eastern woman to marry. So Isaac sends Jacob back to where his mother, Rebecca's family, is from, and, and he meets the beautiful uh, woman of Rachel, right? And he, and he finds Laban there, Rachel's uh, father, and he, he says, give me Rachel's hand. He says, work for me for seven years. And, and then he works for seven years, and Laban switches the deal on him, and he gives him Leah instead. So he works another seven years for Laban, and then finally he gives him Rachel. And you see all throughout Jacob's life, in the, the whole story of Jacob, that he's, he's really never a spiritual guy. He doesn't really have any kind of relationship with God that we know of in the text. He has no kind of vital spirituality that's guiding him throughout this process until he's on the way to meet his wife. He's, when, Jacob, when Isaac sends Jacob out to Padan Haram, he camps out one night and puts a rock under his head and he has a vision. He has a dream of, of heaven opening up and a ladder coming down. It's, it's heaven coming into earth. It's God coming to make his dwelling among men via a ladder. And he sees angels going up and down on this ladder as heaven breaks through into earth. And it's a life-changing experience for him. Before this, he was just kind of going through the motions of, of living his life. He was just kind of surviving, right? He was not really thriving the way that God intended for him to live. You know that when Jacob and Esau were born as twins, that Esau was born first and Jacob was holding on to his heel. And therefore they called him Jacob, which means by the heel. But it's also a euphemism for he cheats. Jacob's name means he's a cheater. And he lived up to that name. We know that he swindled his brother in chapter 25 out of his birthright for a bowl of stew. And then later, Jacob and his mama devise a plan to steal the blessing that was meant for his brother Esau from his dad Isaac. And he, he goes so far as to cover himself with, with goat skin to convince his dad that he's the hairy Esau and not the fair-skinned Jacob. And then he lies boldly to his dad. He says, I am Esau. Just a flat-out lie to his father's face. He's a cheater. He's a liar. That's the life that Jacob has been living until this moment in chapter 28 when he encounters the living God. When he sees this ladder, he realizes that there's a transcendent realm, a greater reality than, than what we can just see. And through this ladder, the transcendent realm was coming into his mundane reality. The truth is, there's another reality beyond what we can see, isn't there? We call this spirituality. And at this point, Jacob's spiritual life is ignited. Read verses 13 through 15 in chapter 28 with me. Behold, the Lord stood above the ladder and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, <coughs> and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and, and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's Genesis 12:3 again, the same covenant promises of God. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will 
not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God shows up in a big way in Jacob's life, and nothing's ever the same for Jacob. This changes everything. It's clear that he's profoundly affected by this dream, by this encounter with Yahweh, the true living God of heaven and earth. He realizes at this point that that God does actually have a plan to use him, that God actually means to carry out his redemptive purposes for the world through Jacob. This guy who's been a cheater and a liar and a deceiver, God still says to him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make your descendants numerous as the stars, as the sand on on the sea. And I'm going to do this because I have a plan and you're a part of it. That's true for you and me today. We need to realize that what is true for Jacob is true for us, that God sees us as an integral part of what he wants to do. And we can choose to be a part of that or to sit on the sidelines and, and, and take ourselves out of the game. At this point, Jacob's faith is ignited, right? We, we know that before this dream, Jacob wasn't even really looking for God, was he? He was simply on his way to go find a wife, and God shows up. I think God does this in our lives, doesn't he? Times when we least expect it, and he shows up. When the hound of heaven comes after you, it's best not to run, right? It's best not to run. Just receive the grace that God has given you. So after this encounter, Jacob immediately makes a vow that from this point on, he will follow Yahweh, the true God. He will be his God, and and he will follow him. He sets up a rock as a marker, as as a spiritual marker, and he pours oil on it, a sign of God's presence in that place. And then he continues on his journey to Padanaram, to meet his wife, and he, he finds Rachel and Leah, and, and what's crazy is, is Rachel and Leah, uh, you know, they both marry him, and I, I'm sure polygamy was never God's best, okay? It was never God's intention, because it's a domestic nightmare for Jacob. These sisters begin kind of an ugly uh, arms race of sorts for, for children, an arms race in childbearing, and they, they start competing to have children. And between the two of them and their maidservants who get pulled into this arms race in, in horrible ways, they, they end up bearing Jacob 11 sons and a daughter, Dinah. And through these sons, one more will come eventually, Benjamin, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jacob's sons, again, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes. You see, they're known as the patriarchs in, in Scripture. This is an important part of the whole big story of the Bible. So God blesses Jacob with this prosperous wealth. He's doing really well in Padan Aram, and he has these kids, and soon he feels like it's time for, for me to take my family back to Canaan, to the promised land that God told me he would give me. So one day when his father-in-law Laban is out shearing his sheep, Jacob says to his kids and his wives, pack it all up, let's bail. We're going to make a run for it while Laban's out shearing his sheep. And they do. They, they pack everything up, and Laban pursues him, but they make a treaty. They come to an agreement that they can both go their separate ways in peace and safety. And, and Jacob continues on to the promised land. But what, what's waiting for him there back in Canaan? Esau. How do you think Esau feels about all this? Jacob is sure that Esau wants him dead. He's sure that Esau wants to kill him, so he sends out messengers ahead of his group. And sure enough, they find Esau. And they come running back to Jacob, and they say, whoa. We just saw Esau, and he's coming this way, and he's got 400 men with him. So what does Jacob do? Does he flee 
Does he take up arms? Does he begin preparing to fight? No. First thing he does is praise because now he has a vital spiritual life and he realizes that only God can help him in this situation. God drives us to our knees in times in our life, doesn't he? When, when we are desperate, when we cry out to God, that's exactly where God wants us. Why? Because he's cruel? No. Because he wants us to learn to rely on his perfect power and provision. So he drives us to our knees, and here he's got Jacob on his knees. I was just talking to a, a, someone this morning who's in a tough situation in their life, and they said, we're grateful that we're there because our spiritual lives have never been stronger. It's true. God drives us to our knees. And that's where Jacob is. Look at verse 9 in chapter 32. He cries out, O oh God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord Yahweh, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do good. He's reminding God that he's following God's direction for his life now. That he's made a vow to make God the Lord of his heart and of his life. And he's obeying him. And then he says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two camps. Who is this guy? This doesn't sound anything like the cheater and the liar that we knew before. This guy is truly humble. He's truly grateful. He says, God, you've blessed me beyond measure. I'm not worthy all the ways that you've shown your said, your steadfast, dogged, determined love to me, and yet you have never let me down. You've blessed me beyond measure, God. Thank you. He's humble and grateful. I love this. And then he says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me and the, the mothers and the children. But you said, God, but you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for the multitude. Here Jacob's calling on the name of the God of his fathers, Yahweh, the true God of heaven and earth who created the, the whole cosmos. And he's the only one who can deliver him from the hand of Esau. He's desperate and crying out. So he's honest with God. He says, I fear him, God. I'm freaking out. God, I don't know what to do. That's okay to say that to God. God wants us to bring our honest confessions to him like this. And he does his part too, though. He doesn't just pray and ask God to work everything out. He then sends a present. He sends a whole bunch of camels and donkeys and goats ahead of his party to Esau as a gift. We know that students, you can't just pray for an A on the test and then not study, right? <laughs> we know that. We know you, you married people out there that you can't just pray for a healthy marriage and then not love your spouse well, not build up and edify your spouse. You can't pray for, for great children and then avoid the work of discipline that is so hard to do. You can't pray for these things and then not do what you are supposed to do as well. You know, William Carey, the great Baptist missionary, is, is quoted as saying, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I, there's two parts of that, isn't there? The expectation part is the prayer part. 
We, we ask God, God, move in mighty ways. We expect you to do those things. But we're also going to attempt great things for you as well. That's on us. Our great attempts with God's great expectations working together in a beautiful way. To live in that tension of expecting and attempting at the same time is a great place to live. To find that balance in your life of both expectations and what you attempt. So reconciliation between two twin brothers, especially one who's wronged one so horribly, who haven't seen each other in, in over 15 years at this point, um, that's a huge thing. That's a great thing to attempt, isn't it? That's a great thing to expect from God. Reconciliation is a great thing. So Jacob does his part. He sends the, the gifts on ahead of him. He doesn't just expect God to do it without him doing anything. So after he sends the gifts, he stays in the camp for one more night, not knowing if Esau would come that night to attack him and kill him. And that very night, of course, he can't sleep. So what does he do? <laughs> yeah, like some crazy dads, he wakes everybody up and says, come on, everybody, we're going for a, a night hike. Let's go. And he gets his wife and his, his kids up, his wives, and his kids and says, let's go. We're all going for a nighttime hike. And pick it up in verse 22. It's a fascinating story. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his female servants, and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them, and he sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the, of the thigh. It's another strange story, isn't it, in many ways? But it's a life-changing story for Jacob and a name-changing story for him as well. A man suddenly appears in the middle of the night when he's alone and they wrestle, they begin this violent altercation that lasts throughout the night. And, and at some point in the wrestling match, Jacob figures it out that this man is no other than God himself because at the end of the story, he says, I have seen God face to face. And this isn't unprecedented in Genesis, is it, for God to show up in human form. When Abraham and Sarah were in their tents by the oaks at Mamre, God shows up as a man with two other men, right, in Genesis 18. But the man here doesn't overpower Jacob, which God obviously could have done, right? So why? Why does he allow this wrestling match to go on all night long? It becomes a draw. Why does God allow this thing to become a draw? 
he further tests him by striking his hip joint as well and knocking his hip out of socket. So what does Jacob do at that point? Does he say, you dirty cheater, you, you're not wrestling fair, you, you made my hip go out of socket, I give up, I surrender, I quit, you're, you're not playing by the rules, I'm out. No, he knows all about cheating. No, he holds on, he perseveres, he refuses to let go. Even when God tells him, hey, look, it's about to be daybreak and you don't want to see me face to face in the daylight because bad things happen. Jacob's resolve remains unfaltering even then. This marks a huge shift in Jacob's life. He finally understands the importance of God's blessing. He refuses to let go until he has the blessing of God himself. He, he knows that God's blessing is what makes all the difference in this life and the next. Living apart from God's blessing is just surviving like he was doing back in his lying and cheating days. He doesn't want to do that anymore. He wants to thrive in God's blessing for his life. God's blessing in, involves the eternal, in, enjoyable, unbroken, always reliable, covenantal promises of God's favor and grace and love. For us as, as Christians now, we live in God's blessings only through His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ became Jacob's ladder, didn't He? Making the bridge between heaven and earth, the, the, the connection between God's realm and our mundane reality, so that we now, having our sins pardoned and atoned for by the blood of Christ, could live freely into the love and the grace and the blessings and the favor of God Almighty, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. And this kind of life leads to a whole new identity, doesn't it? That's what baptism's all about. You die to your old self and you rise to a whole new identity, a new person. And so Jacob's name is even changed here. No longer will he be called cheater. No longer will he be called by the heel, you got ahead. Now he'll be called Israel one who has wrestled bravely with God. So then Jacob begs the man to reveal himself further to him. He says, please tell me your name. And God says, why is it that you ask my name? Which is kind of like God saying, you know who I am. You don't need to ask who I am. And of course Jacob does know. God's always faithful. And he does in, indeed give Jacob the blessing for which he held on so intently for. I see three keys here really for how we strive with God on a daily basis. Life with God sometimes involves striving with God, wrestling with the faith. We don't see clearly now, we see through a mirror dimly, 1 Corinthians 13 says. So if we're gonna strive with God well, first we need to persevere through pain. Even when Jacob's hip was out of socket, he persevered. We will have pain in this life, Jesus told us that. In this world you will have tribulation. But persevere through the pain. Second, he was determined not to detach. Don't disconnect from God in those times. Determine not to detach yourself from God. Hold on for what's next. So persevered through pain, determined not to detach, and then finally, the last one is he believed there was a blessing. Believe there's a blessing in it somewhere. You have to do all three of those things if you're gonna wrestle with God well. Persevere through the pain, determine not to detach, and then believe there's a blessing. The question for us today is this, are you willing to strive with God 
in order to live into his blessings? Or are you content trying to go through life on your own, just, just surviving, relying on your own resources? Are you going to keep lying and cheating and stealing to get ahead? Or are you going to strive with God for the blessing that only he can give? Are you ready to go through pain? Are you ready to persevere through the pain? Are you ready to hold on, determined not to detach from God no matter how rocky the road gets? <coughs> Do you believe <coughs> deep down there's a blessing at the end for you? Do you believe that God wants to bless you? Do you believe that God can do that, even in the midst of your uncertainty? I'm sure that many of us here are just going through the motions today. We're just like Jacob was before. Maybe your spiritual life is not very vital right now. It's not a big part of your world. I would encourage you to allow the hound of heaven to get a hold of your life, to, to develop a robust prayer life, to begin diving into God's word in ways that you've never done before. Maybe like Jacob, your parents were great spiritual people, but you're not so much. Maybe it's time to, to claim the God of your parents the way that Jacob did. Now's the time to get gut level with God and really struggle with him, strive with him. Really understand what it means to lay down your whole life to, to him, surrender all to him today in order to truly live into his blessing and to receive his promises afresh and anew today. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you've shown us that we struggle with you sometimes. That although this world is full of devils, as we, as we sang earlier, that you have triumphed over them. Yes, God, we have tribulation in this world, but we take heart because you have overcome the world. Help us to persevere through the pain, knowing that you've overcome this fallen world. Help us to determine not to detach from you, but to hold on to you, even when things get rough. And God, may we always believe your covenant promises are there for us, that there's a blessing somewhere for us in it if we will not let go of you. And God, we pray now that if there's anyone here who has not received the blessing of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, that they would tarry no longer, that they would delay no more. They would surrender all that they are. And for those of us who have surrendered our lives to you, God, may we renew our vital spirituality. May our prayer lives become robust. May our, our, our disciplines of scripture and study and showing grace to others, our service and ministry to others, God, may they all become a part of our lives that become vital to everything that we are and do and say and believe. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time, and for this church, and for this place, and these people. We pray this all in the high and the holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.